Well, fools, it is nice to be back. How the hell is everybody? Today is June 20th, 2023, and this is the Q-Man here to do podcast number one of two this month, which means I'll have to crank two out here in the next uh, 10 days, but I think my buddy Phil Bach is going to come on over the next day or so if he's not too frustrated with me and how poorly I have been treating him with regard to scheduling. Uh, sorry, Phil, it's not just you that I don't make feel like a priority, it's everybody. I uh... <laughs> So I'll open this podcast with an apology. This podcast brought to you by my very patient, very understanding listeners like yourself. Remember that, PBS? Readers like you. I'm sorry, it was viewers like you. This program is brought to you by viewers like you. I'd be like sitting on the couch, you know, in my boxers half stoned eating a bag of potato chips like viewers like me i did something to put this episode of romper room onto pbs i didn't i never knew what that meant as a kid this is brought to you by viewers like you i'm like i didn't bring anything to anybody i barely even brought my ass to the couch i owe a large debt of gratitude to my kind friends over at jm bullion excuse me, which is the only place that I get my gold and silver bullion. They have been supporters of this podcast for years now. They have done over $7 billion in sales, trusted by tons and tons of customers. They are my exclusive gold and silver bullion provider. They ship discreetly. They turn around orders quickly. They have a lot of inventory. Their prices are reasonable. And... QTR Podcast listeners, if there's any of you left, you guys have an exclusive uh, woman that you can reach out to there, the lovely Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com. Shoot Laura an email if you have any questions about buying gold or silver bullion or if you need any help. uh, She would be happy to assist you, and she's there just for listeners of this podcast. So I do want to shout out JM Bullion. Their link is in the podcast description, and they have been supporting this podcast for years. So the next time you want to get some gold or silver bullion, uh, just browse their inventory. It's always a good time with, you know, what with the world de-dollarizing and everything going to shit. More on that later. It's been the running theme of my podcast for like five years now. Head on over to JM Bullion. Check them out. Give them a play. Tell them the Q-Man sent you, please. I require their support of this podcast so that I can order and eat a thimble full of rice every day for dinner. That is my goal. All right. JM Bullion, I love you guys. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus. Sang Lucci is the original OG. Actually, Wall Street Jesus is the OG of tape reading, flow, reading the market, market psychology, and making money from following those moves that are going on behind the scenes, having your pulse on the finger in the market, They do it all in the Steam Room, which is a lovely piece of software. It's a wonderful trading community where people share ideas, they share tips, but mostly they're tracking where the Steam is going in the options market, which many times can help you figure out where the underlying equities are going to go. A lot of times, people know a little something maybe they shouldn't. They play some weird-looking bets in the options market, and Lucci Wall Street Jesus, nobody does it better than these guys. Check out Lucci. My last podcast with him is, like, wonderful. Get a feel for his style and his flow. He just did his master course, um, so I think that's over and done with for now until he does the next one. 
Um, but I'm happy to be his friend. He's an honest person to do business with. I've known Lucci now for probably 10 years. Uh, just a wonderful guy. Check him out on Twitter. Shoot him and JM Bullion a follow if you don't. And also shoot a follow to my friends over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. And by that, I mean my buddy George Gammon, who has uh, Chris McIntosh and Lynn Alden, Brent Johnson in tow, experts that are helping people understand how to preserve wealth in a world of out-of-control central banks. That is what George focuses on. He focuses on liberty. He focuses on preserving wealth. And I just consider him to be a thought leader. I love to listen to his podcast. I take my cues from him and not the other way around. You know, I had my shit started before George did. He has blown past me, not only on the relevance highway, which isn't really difficult to do. The uh, You could have a upturn broom with a bucket for a head that could pass me on the relevance highway, but also on the uh, on the libertarian kind of Austrian economic highway. George knows his shit. That's why I love reading the forums over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. These guys have been my long-term sponsors for a while. I got to get back on George's show and I got to get him back on mine. It has been way too damn long. My little break here is over, so the podcast will be returning on a fairly regular interval again. And I got to line George up. Check out all my supporters. They're in my podcast description. I would love it if you do. And we're going to start today's discussion with aliens. Why? Because I don't know. That's what I've been reading about nonstop. And uh, I've found a peculiar interest in all of these new stories that have come to light over the last month or two. You have this David Garush who came out and is a whistleblower. Now, he's come out and he's blown the whistle that the U.S. has extraterrestrial craft, except he hasn't seen them. He doesn't have any pictures. He's just taking somebody else's word. And, you know, right about on the same day all that shit broke, uh, somebody reported in Las Vegas, they called in a 911 call of a crashed spaceship. And it was on the night of a, uh, of a, a shooting star, a meteor that was caught on camera. And that happened, and then there was this weird, strange 911 call in Las Vegas where they did, in fact, black out the body camera footage from this call when the officers arrived and showed up in the backyard of this home where these people claim there's 8 to 10 foot creatures wandering around, and they're not humans. Basically, a 911 call saying there's aliens in the backyard. Again, the year is 2023, everybody has a smartphone, and we get no pictures, no video, no nothing, Um, and so those things all kind of happened around the same time, and, you know, I'm in the same camp as a lot of other people with the alien shit, which is, I want it to be real, right, even when you listen to skeptics like Michael Shermer and Mick West, they talk about how they, you know, would love nothing more than to uncover evidence of extraterrestrials and say, all right, we're not alone. But, you know, in the words of Bill Nye, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I don't think he started that shit. I just think he said that at some point when I was watching Bill Nye, the science guy, and I remembered it. It It's some quote attributed to somebody else. But extraordinary claims do require extraordinary evidence. And so far, even when you go back to, like, the Nimitz video... And you look at, you know, David Fravor, who was on Rogan and was on Lex Friedman talking about the Tic Tac and the Go Fast video and the Fleer video. 
you know, NASA even came out and already started to kind of officially debunk those videos. But Mick West had that shit wrapped up, signed, sealed, delivered with a bow on his YouTube channel like uh, probably six months or a year ago where he had basically debunked those videos. And again, the videos are like the 911 call. They're like this David Garrosh. You know, they are claims that walk up to the line of evidence, but they're just not evidence. Or as Michael Shermer was saying on his podcast, it, you know, it doesn't even meet the standard for preponderance of the evidence. Preponderance of the evidence meaning there is more evidence for it than there is against it. 51% says it's true. 49% says it's not true. Some of these claims... You know, these second, third hand hearsay kind of claims from this whistleblower and the Nimitz videos and David Fravor's testimony and, you know, the way that he has recalled this with his credentials. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons that sound good that will, if you want to believe and you've made your mind up that you're going to believe, will kind of act as firepower to support your case. But they're really isn't if you're an outside objective observer and you're just kind of shooting straight here and you're just looking to make the case one way or the other it's still very difficult to get over that 50 percent preponderance of the evidence hump uh, in my opinion and so once again we have a new wave of claims that the government has uh, alien craft and the government has extraterrestrials and these things, of course, immediately get paraded around by people like, you know, Jeremy Corbell or Tom DeLonge or all these people that are eager to take uh, unsubstantiated claims or claims that lack the evidence that would be necessary to support them and parade around these, you know, th if I had a dollar for every time Jeremy Corbell put up a tweet over the last two months that said case closed it's finally here irrefutable evidence you know and then it's just some stupid thing you know some guy told me that somewhere he saw there was one thing I was reading a craft that looked like a helicopter it was an extraterrestrial craft that looked like uh, the bubble lens to a helicopter and I'm just thinking isn't it more likely that that's a human craft that maybe nobody's ever seen and it was based on the design of, I don't know, a fucking helicopter because you're literally saying it looks like a fucking helicopter. You know, there's not a whole lot of figuring out there to do. It looks kind of like a helicopter. It must be from Jupiter. <laughs> that would be drawing the wrong conclusion. You usually want to lead with the most likely situation. Somebody tells you this looks like a Buick you know, it's an extraterrestrial craft, but it looks exactly like a 1996 Buick LeSabre. <laughs> it's got the same hubcaps of four wheels and the stupid Buick logo on it, but I know it's from Mars. It's like, all right, well, maybe we'll just start with the first thing, which is, should we disprove that it isn't actually a Buick? <laughs> and that was the case with uh, a couple of these claims that I've read, but... The skeptics, you know, and, and an interesting take on this, if you really want to hear, I think it's Shermer and Michael Schellenberger, who I've really been enjoying reading Michael Schellenberger. He's very articulate when he speaks. I think he's pretty 
close to being down the middle in terms of wanting to give air to extraordinary claims, um, but being able to realize that he may have to walk it back when he doesn't have the evidence. And he had a great conversation with Shermer where they do, they walk it up to that line where they kind of are, you know, reach a lot of agreeable fair points where it's like, okay, yeah, maybe we don't have the evidence, but this guy is super credible. And so, you know, what can we trust and what what can we not trust? The total opposite of the Corbell, the Jeremy Corbell uh, method of making up your mind, which is just aliens are here and then we'll just figure everything else out later. What evidence? Who needs evidence? They're here. I said so. I make films. Fucking case closed. What the fuck do you want? Right? So Schellenberger's a good guy to kind of like read and listen to. If you can catch him, the Shermer podcast with Schellenberger was very good. And Schellenberger has been getting the shit end of the stick from the mainstream media. He's done a lot of reporting and heavy lifting on issues that the mainstream media didn't necessarily want to dive into or investigate. Um, You know, most recently today, early this morning, I saw he was writing about the lab leak again and basically that the Wall Street Journal had come out and confirmed some reporting that he had done that, you know, the lab uh, SARS-CoV-2 was being worked on in the lab as early as uh, November of 2019 just details confirming what me, you, and anybody with three molecules of brain cells to rub together knew back in 2020, which is usually when a brand new virus uh, starts sweeping the nation, it becomes a pandemic, and it happens to have originated from the uh, the wet market that is over yonder of the uh, over yonder the meadow of uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You may want to start checking there first. Again. It's got four of the same hubcaps and the Buick logo on it. Maybe we should just check to make sure it's not a fucking Buick before we go assuming that it is, you know, a reincarnation of Regis Philbin flying in from Neptune. Now, it might just be a Buick. (laughs) Says so right there. What is that, some kind of alien language on the back? B-U-I-C-K. What do you think that stands for? It's probably alien code. It's actually just Buick in English. Unbelievable. Check me out. I'm a I'm a Jeremy Corbell debunker, <laughs> but the uh, the evidence hasn't been there, and so we've kind of uh, I don't know. You start to wonder about like whether or not these people are getting played, whether or not this is like a disinformation campaign. You know, I could see the idea of wanting to release this stuff to get the public to talk about it, so that they don't talk about something else, or. You know, there's other theories that, hey, maybe we're working on experimental craft and, uh, you know, it's out there to kind of because that was the thing with Area 51. Is there a military base out in the desert in Nevada? Yes, there is. Right. I think it's pretty widely accepted. Is that proof that there are alien craft out there and captured extraterrestrials? No, it is not. Is it potentially the case that they just have, you know, New technology, like they, you know, debuted the SR-71 Blackbird out there and just shit that we don't know about yet or things that we're reverse engineering from other countries. Uh, That is way more likely than we are uh, than we are reverse engineering alien craft, although I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm just saying the evidence falls short of that. If you want to look at you want to listen to another great podcast while we're on the topic of aliens, go and listen to James Fox on Joe Rogan talk about the uh, incident in Brazil 
where these three sisters kind of, you know, supposedly happened upon an alien craft uh, that the entire, you know, city of 130,000 people know about and talked about. And there was apparently a body recovered and it was crazy. They walked it to the hospital and there was an incredible stench. And then people from the United States supposedly showed up and then nobody ever talked about it and the bodies weren't recovered. And, you know, the thing crashed and the alien was scared and all three women saw it. It's an astonishing story. And uh, the the movie that James Fox is promoting on Rogan surrounding that incident in Brazil is called Moment of Contact. And uh, I haven't seen the documentary yet, but what I can say is that James Fox's, um, first off, he obviously has a very in-depth acumen when it comes to what happened. Uh, and he did the investigatory legwork. I mean, he spent like 20 years in Brazil trying to document all these accounts of what happened because uh, there isn't a lot of evidence other than going out and taking stories. And the way that he, you know, he did two appearances. He did one on uh, this podcast called Concrete, which is a great podcast if you're into esoteric shit, aliens, etc. Look it up, K-O-N-C-R-E-T-E. I recommend that. Um, and he did Rogan. I would listen to the one on Rogan. It's better than the one that he did on Concrete, uh, in my opinion. But just listen to him talk about the story of his findings in Brazil when he was investigating this supposed UFO crash and then moment of contact between alien life and these three sisters in Brazil who supposedly got within six feet of this fucking thing and it had red eyes and it had oily skin and there's a sketch online that's creepy. You can go check it out. Again, no photographic evidence or things like that, but very compelling storytelling from James Fox. It was, and I, you know, I deftly, uh, you know, deal with with bullshit with with a very skeptical lens. So, you know, I can listen to Jeremy Corbell, and you know, nine out of ten things that come out of his mouth just don't get through my blood brain barrier because they're anecdotes or they're just nonsense or they're extensively. Uh, they're, they're incredible claims that don't have incredible evidence. Um, so, you know, his shit just doesn't really get through. This James Fox interview, I listened to it for the first time on a run. I did a, like, 13 or 15-mile run one day, and I listened to the whole thing, like, two hours and 25 minutes. And it was extremely compelling. And he comes off as extremely credible. Now, listen, I also... So go listen to James Fox on Rogan if you're interested in alien shit. Um, you know, it was like Fravor, right? The first time I listened to Fravor on Rogan, he came off as extremely credible. I mean, he's, he's credentialed. He, you know, ostensibly didn't have any reason to lie about this shit from the get go. And, uh, and you want to trust his opinion, but you have to understand that, you know, what the video shows um, was, I think, pretty easily debunked by Mick West. I think he did a good job. If you go look at his YouTube channel, the Fleer, the Go Fast, and the Gimbal video, uh, they've all kind of been de- debunked, uh, I think, I think well enough to say that, you know, it's more likely than not that those are not extraterrestrial craft. 
Um, and then so the question is, like, how does Fravor get all of these things wrong, right? If he's this pilot and he's an expert and he understands what it's like to be up in an aircraft and how things move and the physics of things, et cetera, et cetera, how could he possibly have been mistaken? And the answer is that it is possible for uh, pilots to mistake these things. They're human beings. They are prone to what, like what everybody else does, which is where if you see three dots in the sky, in a dark sky, you want to connect them and make them into a craft that's a triangle, even if there isn't anything connecting them. And that's when you get all these incidents of, you know, planes dropping flares in the middle of the night, which come out on a, uh, you know, like an equidistant kind of clip from one another. It's like when you fire those tracer bullets through the night sky, they kind of all come out equidistant to each other and they have this nice way of kind of uh, creating like an echelon almost in the sky, like a nice design, a nice kind of pattern. There, there's a math to it, right? You're firing X amount of rounds every X amount of seconds, and then those carry through the air, and they eventually, um, you know, start to kind of rise and fall together. And it's the same with these flares, right? You get these planes that drop these flares and these nice-looking designs that appear to be symmetrical and distanced out from one another so well enough that they you would think that they indicate the existence of a craft or a solid object behind them and pilots whether you're david fravor or whether you're fucking you know anybody whether you're jerome powell you we all are susceptible and i'm sure there's some scientific name for that some kind of bias but we're all susceptible to kind of connecting the dots when they're not meant to be connected. And a great example is, you know, Fravor attesting to the distance, how far away this thing was. And he even says in the Rogan podcast, you know, you have to be careful when you're flying because the ocean looks the same at 30,000 feet as it does at 3,000 feet, which is why pilots have to be very careful about how they ascend and descend over water. Um, because you can't really tell, I guess, without looking at your altimeter with any type of accuracy how far away you are from the surface of the ocean just because everything looks the same. And just like pilots are susceptible to uh, to that kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, visual kind of illusion almost, um, you know, they're also susceptible to, you know, the fucking parallax effect and all this other bullshit I don't understand that Mick West talks about but it, but it makes sense the Doppler effect the parallax effect all these weird things that you see in like halls of mirrors and illusions uh you know that kind of are trick your brain into thinking one thing when another thing is happening and that is uh that's just as possible to happen with a credentialed expert as it is anybody else and in a case of Fravor or the case of this guy, Garush, you have something where you think you have an answer or you can't explain it or, you know, for some reason or another, there's a rational explanation, but you can't figure it out. You know what the fucking perfect example is? You ever be in your kitchen and, uh, what the fuck was that? You ever be in your kitchen and you drop like an M&M and it just disappears? You know, this happens to me all the time. I'll be sitting on the fucking couch right, watching a Phillies game, and I'll drop shoveling fucking M&Ms into my gullet, and I'll drop an M&M, and that's it. It just 
it never shows up again. And you pull up the couch cushions and it's not there. And you look under the couch, you look in your sock and you look in your fucking shirt. And where is it? It's just gone. And then it starts to piss you off because then you're like, all right, well, you know, if it's next to something warm, it'll melt and stain the couch or if I'm sitting on it the wrong way or I don't want to step on it. But the question is, where did it go? <clears throat> you know, the Jeremy Corbell answer is that M&M has slipped into an alternate dimension beyond a reasonable doubt, right? That's what Corbell is thinking. Most reasoned individuals come to the conclusion that, hey, it's somewhere and I'm going to find it when I least expect it. And I just have to make peace with that. And that is usually the case. You know, you go to do a load of laundry three weeks later and it turns up in a jacket pocket. And you're like, damn, I remember that day. I don't know how the fucking thing bounced off the ground and wound up in my jacket pocket somehow. But, you know, just through happenstance, it did. It was probably a one in a million or one in a billion chance that it happened. But it happens. And just because we don't have an immediate explanation doesn't mean that we have to jump to the most bizarre explanation of things. I also <clears throat> just wanted to circle back on the Bob Lazar thing, which I know is kind of old news now at this point, but I did a podcast a while back with Mick West, basically trying to debunk Bob Lazar's claims. Uh, which I thought we did a pretty good job of. It's actually one of the only podcasts I go back and listen to of my own. Um, I don't know, something about Mick West's accent that just makes it very easy to listen to. By the way, I owe Mick West an apology because I was fucking around with my contacts list like two weeks ago. And I was, <laughs> I was sitting at the bar and I was going through my contacts list and his name came up. And I, you know, I don't know what happened, but I wound up like... Uh, like doing some kind of like it wasn't his phone number though it was so strange I think maybe I had like his email or something and I clicked on something that made a FaceTime call which I didn't even know you could do through email on uh on a phone and it wound up calling Mick at like 10 o'clock at night and being a nice guy picked up the phone and me being an idiot I was like instead of just being like hey man sorry I fucked up I wasn't even trying to call you it was like the day after these other alien claims had come out. And I was like, hey, did you see this like David Garrosh thing? And he was like, I have to go. <laughs> so thanks for 20 seconds, Mick. And I'm sorry, but I didn't mean to call you at 10 o'clock at night on a Wednesday or whatever. Turns out, uh, you know, people have lives where they're not sitting at the bar fucking around with their phone at 10 o'clock on a Wednesday night like I was doing. Regardless... Mick and I did a podcast uh, where we worked to debunk Bob Lazar's claims, and I think we did a pretty good job. But I have to say, this dude Jeremy Riss, or Jeremy Reese, I don't know how to pronounce it, um, I just found on the Concrete podcast. This is one of the best episodes I've ever listened to of any podcast. Jeremy Riss on the Concrete podcast, uh, the name of the episode is something like Bob Lazar, explosive Bob Lazar claims uh, revealed. One of the best debunkings of Bob Lazar I have ever heard. This guy has done insane in-depth research on Lazar, on his background. Worth a listen if you followed the Lazar story um, and you know, you're know you like me where you think kind of... What I had concluded with Mick West was that the truth is probably... Uh, far less exciting. You know, he did work at Los Alamos. He probably didn't see 
nine craft in a uh, in a hangar at one point. Um, who knows if he ever set foot into Area 51, if he worked as a technician or what. You know, his educational claims are probably bullshit. But the, the way I concluded it with Mick West was basically that there's probably a little bit of truth to his story, but a lot of lies. And if you want to be a good liar, that's the way to do it. Pepper some truth in there so the story comes back real easy and uh, it's easy to recant. And then there's things that you can confirm. Right. There's waypoints like Jeremy Corbell, you know, will say, who cares if he didn't go to MIT or he didn't go to Caltech or he doesn't have a degree in magnetohydrodynamics or, you know, whatever. Uh, he actually said on some podcast, I think maybe with Stanton Friedman or somewhere, he said, you know, you never lied to impress a girlfriend. It's like, dude, I've never made I've never been trying to support and substantiate claims that I reverse engineered alien craft. So let's just start with that, okay? <laughs> I had other lies that I had to defend. Some of them were, you know, real whoppers. None of them were ever as big as trying to say that I reverse engineered alien craft. So Jeremy Corbell's deft response, you know, his Floyd Mayweather-like defense to that is, what, you never lied to impress a girl? It's like, dude, if he's lying about being a fucking, having a master's in physics from MIT, and then apparently he told Rogan some shit before their podcast where, you know, I guess somebody sent him to MIT, but he's not allowed to talk about it because you hear Rogan say in the podcast, like, uh, you did you did tell me some things about your education, but we can't get into it for safety reasons or whatever reasons. You know, the whole idea of I don't want to be out there and I don't want to make a big scene and I don't want to talk about it, but let's go on the podcast with 40 million listeners per episode and uh so for me i you know kind of wanted to believe the story like everybody else even this dude jeremy riss says the same thing you know this the lazar story is kind of what got him into uh looking into aliens and extraterrestrial and by the way too this guy jeremy riss he's uh, got a physics degree so he actually walks the walk when it comes to talking physics he doesn't just claim he's a senior staff physicist somewhere and have a master's without a CV or a thesis paper or a you know, professor that remembers him. Um, so he can actually talk the talk a little bit. He also does a great job um, talking about 9-11 and raising very interesting questions uh, going down the nanothermite um, rabbit hole, if you know about that one. Uh, Jeremy Riss not only appears on the Concrete podcast, which is the episode that I'm talking about now, but he also did an episode with Mick West back on his old podcast called Tales from the Rabbit Hole, which is great listening to because he's a very reasoned person. So he's not some flat earther moron conspiracy theorist. He's got a degree in physics and he's a smart fucking dude and he does his work. So it's interesting just like Shermer and Schellenberger, it's interesting to hear him try to walk up to the line when it comes to these, you know, for instance, 9-11, you know, conspiracy theory uh, kind of theories. Uh, and the ones that him and Mick West, you know, both agree are bunk. And then ones where they have their differences. He also was on Richard Gage, who is the former architects and engineer for 9-11 Truth Guy. He now has his own podcast, Richard Gage. Um, it's okay. It's okay. But the episode with Jeremy Riss from <clears throat> a year or two ago is uh, outstanding. And actually, I'm 
remembering that I have them here on my phone. I have a, a playlist of my favorite podcasts, so I'm just going to take a second and tell you what they're called um, because I have them right here, and this way you'll know exactly which episodes I'm talking about. I, I really do think that they're worth the listen. Uh, let's see. The first one is, where are we, Chris? Get it together. Get it together. Oh, this Michael Schellenberger, number 1963 on Rogan, is worth a listen to also. Um, I like listening to Schellenberger. All right, so the, the, the one where Jeremy Riss is talking about Lazar on Concrete is from April 16th. It's episode number 181 called Explosive New Bob Lazar Evidence in Area 51 Secrets Revealed. Then his episode with Mick West from back in 2020 is episode 40, um, February 21st, 2020. By the way, I told Mick he's got to get his podcast going again. I enjoy listening to his uh, Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I've listened to all his legacy episodes. There's only like 40 or 50 of them, but I've listened to all of them a number of times. And Jeremy Riss's episode with Richard Gage is a little bit more recent from May 2022. Um and that one is like two hours. So if you want to go deep on 9-11 with a guy that understands the science, uh, listen to May 11th, 2022. Uh, Richard Gage, 9-11 Unleashed is the name of the podcast. And the episode is called 9-11 Inside Out, Crime Scene Proximity Investigations with 9-11 researcher Jeremy Riss. Um, okay, so going back to Lazar... And by the way, the James Fox podcast from before about the Brazilian alien invasion is number 1976 on Rogan. So if you want to listen to that one. Going back to Lazar, though, you know, what Jeremy Riss provides, um, the detail he provides in debunking Lazar went one iteration further than Mick West and I were able to do. For example, at one point we talked about the supposed pay stub from the United States Department of Naval Intelligence. And, you know, Mick West says, well, I just assume that, you know, that's fake. And, uh, and you know, at the time I was like, okay, that's probably the more, the 51% more likely than not scenario, but that we don't really have any deep digging on that. Well, Jeremy Riss did the deep, deep digging on that. He found out the, the, the original social security number listed on that pay stub was actually Bob Lazar's ex-wife. Um, and so he thinks that, you know, and then it was altered in a, in a future version, it somehow immediately, uh, somehow miraculously had Lazar's social security number on it. So, <clears throat> you know, he also points out that Lazar had a photo processing um, job when he, I think before or after Los Alamos, he was working processing photos, which is how he bumped into Gene Huff and John Lear, uh, two guys who Jeremy Riss astutely notes um, would probably have prevented Lazar from getting the proper background check qualifications he needed uh, if they had looked into these guys to work at Area 51. But regardless, he noted that, you know, Lazar had the means to fabricate that pay stub. And I was thinking, ah, you know, because he's a smart guy. But like, yeah, okay, is it like, is it possible that he would fake that badge to get in that, that everybody sees, you know, with the MAJ on it for whatever majestic clearance. And then you just think, oh, this guy spent his entire day at a photo processing lab. He 
definitely had the means to come up with a fake pay stub and to come up with a fake ID badge. The ID badge has been further debunked because uh, Wackenhut was the name of the security company that ran security there. And any badge would have had to have been issued by them, which his uh, badge did not uh, did not bear the logo or did not bear the format. And then eventually it was revealed that I think Lazar himself admitted that the badge was a recreation. Okay, so now you have a bunk uh, pay stub in the name, in the social security of his old ex-wife and a uh, clearance badge that he admits that he fabricated. Uh, and this is just the second iteration of going deep on Lazar. Jeremy Riss also talks about, um, you know, how Lazar was running a brothel at one point, uh, which I knew that he had been, he had a felony pandering charge for one way or another being involved with a brothel. But uh, Jeremy says that he was installing a CCTV system in there and then bribing the, uh, or blackmailing the customers uh, with video of themselves coming in and out. So he had a little bit more depth on that, and I guess he had gone in and actually read the criminal case um, and found out the details of it. So <clears throat> the interview is chock full of next tier information. They cover Element 115. They cover Lazar's educational background. They cover, um, you know, his bankruptcies was another thing that I didn't know a lot about. You know, apparently he owed a ton of people money. Uh, he filed for bankruptcy, listed a ton of creditors. Um, risk goes into the idea of, okay, well, why is he doing this? You know, he always says he doesn't want to make money or he doesn't accept money from doing it. So it does kind of juxtapose with the idea that he's, oh, he wrote a book, you know, okay, well, why write a book? Why go on Rogan? If you're not trying to, you know, generate some buzz about yourself. So he goes a little bit further into depth about that. Talks about the original Bob Lazar tapes that they were selling, I guess, back in the 80s or 90s in the back of UFO magazines for $30 a clip. You know, they sold a shitload of those. And I think Gene Huff was his partner in crime in doing that. So all these little pockets of doubt are things where you're like, ah, you know, maybe there is a shred of truth to it. Um, this Jeremy Riss on the Concrete Podcast, worth listening to the first hour. He just shreds it. He just shreds the Lazar story. So if you're looking to finally come away with the full and proper debunking of uh, all things Bob Lazar, that would be uh, that would be one that I would definitely listen to. You know, because Lazar isn't going to debate Eric Weinstein. That's the other thing that was brought up. Speaking of debates, and we'll talk about Peter Hotez and RFK in a second. But Rogan, I think, invited... Eric Weinstein, who is a theoretical mathematician and just all around fucking awesome guy to listen to, who understands physics really well. And, you know, even Jeremy Riss says to a degree that he doesn't understand, you know, Jeremy Riss is a fucking smart guy. You can tell he understands physics when he talks about the Lazar, the big point Mick and I made, the lack of data, the lack of seemingly having an understanding of the physics necessary to be a, you know, to be reverse engineering alien craft. Or as Mick West said in my uh, in my podcast with him, why the fuck would you throw a golf ball at it? You know, they're talking about the reactor. And, uh, oh, that was the other thing that Jeremy Riss did. He took all the little stories, the golf ball against the reactor, the story that Bob was replacing a guy who tried to cut into the reactor with a plasma cutter and wound up dying. And he takes all those stories of Bob's and he ties them to the these 
either movies or current events at the time that basically explain exactly where he got it from. Just like Mick West says, okay, well, he claims it's from Zeta Reticuli, okay, which was the Betty and Barney Hill story, or it was the Close Encounters of the Third Kind story. It came from somewhere. And then Jeremy Riss says, okay, well, this idea of, you know, the last guy died because he cut into the... Uh, he cut into the reactor with a plasma cutter and that's why Bob was replacing him and the other guy survived came from this story of a, of a real story of a guy named Lewis Slotkin or something or uh, Lewis Sloten, I think who was really working on a uh, demon core reactor they were calling it or something or I think it was like the, the innards of the fuse of like the atomic bomb or something crazy some kind of beryllium some shit I don't understand, but the guy was fucking with it, and apparently something slipped, and the reactor, you know, went super critical, he says, so it, you know, it got out of whack to the point where you had a major problem, and this dude, I guess, uh, threw himself on top of it or closed it or whatever and saved the lives of these other scientists, and, uh, and so he recounts that story, and then <clears throat> he takes, like, three or four of these other stories that Lazar have uh, has brought up, including the Element 115 thing, but he ties them to, you know, the historical actual things, which gives you some idea of where Lazar may have been engineering his lies from. So that it is a, it is definitely worth listening to. The lack of science behind Lazar's claims, his inability to articulate, okay, what were you measuring for these craft? What kind of data were you using? What system were you plugging it into? What were you doing on a normal nine to five when you weren't eating a tuna salad in the cafeteria? Those things would be hashed out very quickly in a debate with somebody like Eric Weinstein because he's a theoretical mathematician and he understands, you know, quantum physics and and really the the edge of what we know about physics. He understands it very well. So that debate just won't happen because it will ruin Bob Lazar. I strongly believe he is not able to articulate uh, those things. And that would coincide with him not fucking having a degree in physics and not understanding what the fuck he's talking about when it comes to, uh, <clears throat> you know, when it comes to reverse engineering alien craft. And like I talked about with Mick, he has a cursory understanding of physics and science that to an outside observer who doesn't have that makes him seem smart, but to people that are in the know, and for example, if you listen to Eric Weinstein talk to Rogan about you know string theory and geometric unity, you very quickly understand that these guys are speaking a language that is completely different. And all of a sudden, Bob Lazar's claims of, well, one craft looked like a jello mold, you know, or I saw an alien, I didn't see an alien. They sound like shit that comes out of a comic book. They're basic and they're kind of crude in how they're put together. And they're pretty much the bullshit that you would come up with if you just had to kind of invent a story without having any type of basis in understanding the science behind it. Uh, so again, you know, the story, okay, they threw a golf ball at the reactor. And <laughs> Mick West's reaction to that is just... It's perfect. Why the fuck would you throw a golf ball at it, right? Here you are staring into the unlimited, uh, you know, potential energy and technology of the future, which should be handled in care with extremely precise and delicate measurements and just the tiniest little thing because we have no fucking idea what this is. And it's, you know, ostensibly the biggest story in the history of mankind. And this dude's in there with a fucking titleist. Just... <laughs> Just throwing it. 
you know, says to his lab partner, Barry Castillo or Barry Castillo. He doesn't know how to pronounce it. Worked with the guy for six months, whatever. Give me that golf ball. I want to throw it at this reactor. It's great that we finally have proof of extraterrestrial life. Now, after that, we'll throw a softball at it and a bowling ball. You know, so why the fuck would you do that? Again, falls squarely into the column of just not understanding uh, the delicate nature of what's going on and the advanced physics behind uh, what it would be that he was working on. So for me, the Jeremy Risk Concrete podcast knocks it out of the park. The Lazar story is, for all intents and purposes, debunked completely. I know many of you guys arrived there a while before I did, but, you know, so I like to do it. I like to hash it out. I like to talk it out. But the debate with Weinstein will not happen because he will not be able to uh, to hang, and it will be the whole end for him. And that's why, you know, he speaks only to people like Jeremy Corbell, who are anxious and eager to believe him, like a fucking Labrador retriever waiting for you to come home from work, just stoked to see you. Whatever bullshit you come out with, just telling you that's the greatest thing you've ever heard. You know, you're always right, Bob. You're so great. You know, so he only talks to people like that and people like Rogan, who he knows, all right, you know, he probably understands the science uh, or science in general just as well as Rogan. So he knows he's not going to get tested. Um, But, you know, you take a guy like Eric Weinstein, who is spending his podcast with Rogan speaking in physics gobbledygook and calling out string theorists like Michio Kaku. I mean, if you understand physics well enough to say Michio Kaku is out of control, <laughs> that's what he said. Why is he? he goes, Michio Kaku is out of control. Also an interesting debate. I'd love to hear that one. But he understands it in a way that Lazar won't understand uh, if he lives to be a million years old. And thus, the free market kind of makes the decision for us, right? Here's this forum where we get together with all these ideas. Lazar makes his claims. Then, you know, you have the uh, skeptics and the debunkers making their claims. And you kind of throw it all out there to the universe and give it up to the free market. And the free market then hashes it out and decides who's right, who's wrong, who's being deceptive, who isn't, who has credibility, and who doesn't. And so as it relates to this current issue that's going on with this Dr. Peter Hotez, who is defending uh, vaccinations, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is a Democratic presidential candidate who is skeptical of vaccinations. Uh, the left has adopted the stance that, you know, like Seinfeld in that episode, I choose not to run. I choose not to debate. Rogan wants Hotez to debate RFK. RFK says, hey, I got the goods. We know that vaccines are not everything they're, you know, made out to be. Hotez says, we need vaccines. They're great. Everybody on the left is defending Hotez. Everybody on the right wants to see the debate. And really, the people defending Hotez are saying, well, why should he Why should he dignify RFK with a response? Why should he dignify him uh, with a debate? And the answer is because uh, it's obviously stoked a lot of interest. There are obviously people, you know, and that's the other thing is this Hotez complains and bitches and moans about anti-vaxxers and people that, you know, so many lives could have been saved with co 200,000 people could have been saved if it weren't for anti-vaxxers, right? So he's got this big boner for vaccines, even though if you go back and watch that video of him online, he made a lot of wrong statements going back to March, 2020 related to COVID and vaccines. 
So he wants to like be pissed about that, but he won't talk. He won't have a debate. You know, he won't have a uh, so he'll go on MSNBC where they will tell him he's the smartest guy in history. And, you know, RFK will go on Rogan where, you know, Rogan agrees with him that Wi-Fi routers fry your testicles or whatever they were talking about. And both guys stay in their corners. And then there's no chance for the free market to say, okay, you know, here's one thing that Hotez said that um, RFK couldn't refute. Or one thing that RFK said that Hotez can't refute. So we don't get that. Um, and to me, I think not wanting to debate is, uh, it's telling. It's not evidence that you're wrong. Um, you know, like Zahi Hawass or Zahi Hawass, whatever the guy's name is, the uh, Egyptologist that, you know, walked out of the debate with Graham Hancock. I think probably he's more right than Graham Hancock on a lot of things, but he chose not to debate. So, you know, I think it sucks that he didn't get a chance to have his debate with uh, with Hancock, but I don't think that makes him wrong on everything. Um, there's been some great debates. When Bill Nye debated Ken Ham, that was a great one. That was like two hours. This now, Hotez has a chance to send a million five to a charity of his choice to just go on and just talk. Just talk to him. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of just talking? You get two minutes, this guy gets two minutes, whatever. You know, Hotez says, oh, well, he's a crafty lawyer. You know, I can't talk to people like that. It's like you're supposed to be the guy with the irrefutable science, right? Wasn't that wasn't that the the argument? The science is so settled that why would he give him a forum for his conspiracy theories? Is that it? Now, just like I was saying with Michael Schellenberger, the reason that people are thirsty for this shit right now is because over the last few years, we have been told that we are ridiculous, awful, moronic, unpatriotic assholes that want everybody to die for entertaining quote-unquote conspiracy theories that have wind up becoming true. So when the American public sees 51 former intelligence officials sign off on a letter saying that the Biden laptop isn't real, and meanwhile there's a picture of you know hunter biden smoking a joint through his dick hole in a hotel in the netherlands and you can tell it's not photoshopped you don't want to see it you want to burn your eyes out after you see it but but all things being equal it doesn't look like something that's photoshopped and who could think of something like that right but you have 51 former intelligence officials saying it's totally rust and disinformation then of course it turns out to be true well how can how can the public you know be expected to take anybody's word on anything on either side of the debate without hashing it out, without having a full, you know, it's like an investment thesis. I'm going to invest in a company. I'm buying Target recently, right? I like they up the dividend. I think this woke shit is all going to pass them by and I like Target for the long term. Yeah, I said it. All right. Well, what do I want as a bull? I want the bear. I want the guy that hates the company the most and thinks the worst possible situation is going to happen who knows the financials, knows the CEO and everything inside and out, to come out and put up his best argument against me. That's what I need. Because you got to have all the fucking cards on the table if you want to make an informed decision. And that's all people want from this debate. Give me the award-winning scientist, which, by the way, you know, back in the day, that was a thing. If, if you were a Pulitzer award-winning, you know, MD and a PhD... You got by on that credibility, but we've been lied to by so many award-winning PhDs. They just gave Janet Yellen a award called the Volcker Award. 
Paul Volcker, the guy that raised interest rates to, you know, 20%. They named the award after him, gave it to the lady who kept us at 0% for 10 years. Ladies and gentlemen, could somebody fucking explain that to me? And then all of a sudden, it's some big controversy that we want to question people that are getting awards. It's all people in the same echo chamber, just one big award show circle jerk. And all of a sudden, we're assholes for saying maybe we should have a debate and just see what kind of facts they come out with. And it's not always the truth that the mainstream narrative is wrong. I mean, it's generally policy of mine now to take everything with a grain of salt. But, you know, the remember back before Russia invaded Ukraine, I mean, there was a big thing that said, all right, you know, Russia's... The, the official word from the White House is that Russia's got 200,000 troops on the border. And there were skeptics out there saying, ah, oh, this is just, you know, posturing or we're just making a big deal out of nothing, whatever. They won't do it. They won't go into Ukraine. Um, <clears throat> and then they did. And so that turned out to be accurate information. I mean, at least to the extent that, you know, they were on the border and they were poised to go in. Um, so I'm not saying that you know, everything that we're told is lies. I think that more than, way more than what we think uh, about is lies. I think there's, we're told more lies than we think we are. Um, And for, you know, multitude of reasons. Incompetence, you have just idiots out there. I mean, there are literally people that think that money printing is the most, you know, that that's a free market. And they will defend that and that will be, you know, that school of thought until it implodes uh, and then it's, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt that that's bullshit. Um, so incompetence is up there. I think that we're told things that aren't true for reasons sometimes. Going back to the alien thing, disinformation. Um, you know, are certain people told certain things to distract other people from other things? you got to play 3, 4, 5D chess. Um, and so I just, the, the key point is that you know, wanting a debate between a guy who advocates for vaccines and a guy who doesn't um, is not some insane uh, ask. When RFK wants the debate, oh, well, he's not a doctor. You know, it's like, all right, yeah, but he's not a fucking moron either, right? He's an attorney. He has, specifically, he's an environmental attorney. So you listen to him on Rogan talking about things like the the Roundup controversy and uh, really the 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 way that certain chemicals uh, affect the body and you know there's things he don't he doesn't know and he says that's I don't know that or I haven't looked into that yet and there's things that he does know and studies that he does quote so why not just you know he's not an idiot and there's this picture of course of him and Hotez floating around of you know RFK who looks like he's like six two two thirty with abs like just looks like he's cock diesel. Uh, and Peter Hotez, uh, who looks like, well, we'll just say he's not 6'4 with abs. <laughs> he looks like an old drunken fly fisherman. I don't even know. But anyways, you know, and so, oh, fuck, I got to change this. Let's see. Is that better? Check one, two. All right, well, I don't know. If the audio levels change, it's my fault, and I don't know what I'm doing. I've been using this audacity for, like, five years i still have no idea how to work it the point is you know hotez goes on the rogan podcast and rogan's like talking to him about vaccines and questioning him about his stance on you know why everybody should be vaccinated and rogan's like well you know it's okay to take vitamins and eat well and exercise too right and he's like well yeah but everybody should have a vaccine so rogan's like all right well what do you do and he's like well i hang out at shake shack and i try to walk that was his rogan's like do you exercise he's like i try to walk like <laughs> 
you try to walk. That's like saying I try to breathe. You know, you don't do it. You just walk. How do you get from that chair you're sitting into the bathroom? I try to walk every day. You know, don't try. Just walk. I try to walk. That is that is the worst description of somebody. That is the absolute worst answer anybody has ever used to try to describe their exercise routine. I try to walk. I mean, unless you're were involved in a car accident or you're missing a leg or you're in like rehab and you really are trying to walk because you can't. But if Rogan says, Hey man, I do an hour's worth of squats. I train jujitsu for two hours and then I go for a five mile run. Then I come home and eat elk with jalapeno peppers and, uh, zero carbs and 200 grams of protein. What's your routine? And your answer is I go to Shake Shack and I try to walk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> What's your exercise routine? I try to walk. You try. That means there's days where he doesn't walk. He's just sitting, doing a Zoom call with MSNBC, and he thinks to himself, should I walk today? Maybe I should. And he just sits there, and he just goes, uh, and he's like, I can't get my ass out of the chair. What'd you do today? Well, I tried to walk, but fucking wasn't happening. <laughs> tried to walk. It just... Fucking ass was just not getting up out of the seat today. You know what I mean? Try to walk. I tried to walk. Regardless, the um, the notion that there are other ways to stay healthy um, and that, you know, and especially as this is as it relates to COVID now, right? Because there's this emerging body of evidence that those who have been vaccinated, it may even be counterintuitive heading into the later months. And Hotez was a guy who was saying, you know, you just need one shot, and then it's, you just need two, then it's you need three, you need four, you need five, you need boosters. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they're, it is starting to trickle out that, you know, five, six, seven, eight, 12 months from vaccination, it's possible that it may be having the reverse effect of what was intended. And so why, and I'm not saying don't get vaccinated, I'm just saying, why can't we have a discussion about things like the robustness of natural immunity, which begrudgingly the left has admitted through their closed and clenched teeth uh, is a reality that natural immunity is a little bit more robust than immunity from the vaccine. Why can't we just talk about that then? And why can't we just talk about not eating Shake Shack every day as a means to try to keep your body a little bit healthier and enable your immune system to fight off unknown things like COVID, which, by the way, came from a lab. I don't know if you guys have been paying fucking attention. Um, and so when you kind of throw that into the ether, people start to wonder, yeah, you know, why won't this guy debate this guy? You got this seemingly healthy guy here who's, you know, saying, and this is the old school you know, science versus uh, Eastern medicine debate, maybe, you know? I got a lady at my uh, place where I go for physical therapy who will tell me, you know, drink this tea, or I'll go in and say, hey, you know, my Achilles hurts from jujitsu, and she'll massage my left elbow and say, oh, this is connected to your Achilles. And I'll be like, well, fuck me. I haven't been walking around on my left elbow for 40 years, but if you say so, you know, I'd... <laughs> It's that argument versus somebody in, you know, a podiatrist who's just going to say, hey, your Achilles is fucked up. Let's, uh, you know, put a cast on or do whatever we need to do. And what I found over the years is that there's a middle ground, just like there's a middle ground between religion and science. 
there's a compromise where they work together. There's a duality there. Eastern medicine and Western medicine. There's a lot of Eastern medicine that's bullshit. But there's a lot of Western medicine that's bullshit. There's a lot of Western medicine that wants to make you sick, so you have to get the drugs, which is why they don't talk about things like nutrition. If you listen to any like plant-based podcasts, one of the things that doctors always say is that they never teach you about nutrition in med school. You know, And when you become a doctor, they teach you how to fill out a prescription on a prescription pad and to address the symptoms, but not the underlying causes. That's one thing you'll hear over and over and over again. And Eastern medicine will tell you, you know, the opposite, that it can all be alleviated through, you know, cupping or something that is not going to uh, help appendicitis, right? (laughs) So there's this ground in between the two. There's always nuance. There's always a line. And, you know, I've said for a while, I talk to people about acupuncture. You know, I went to acupuncture. Did it work? Yeah. You know, I enjoyed it. Well, why did you enjoy it? I don't know. I don't know if it has something to do with tiny little needles sticking out of the top of my ears or if it has to do with the fact that something, anything, just forced me to lay on a table for an hour without my phone and control my breathing under a warm light, which just feels great. Does it have anything to do with the needles? I don't know. But does sitting there for an hour just controlling your breathing, doing nothing, not looking at, you know, Twitter on your phone, does that have positive health effects? Does your mental health result in better physical health when your mental health is in better shape? Yes, it does. So there's a middle line there, right? Where like there's some blurring between the Eastern and the Western, just like I'm sure there's some blurring between Hotez and RFK and between uh, whatever the other example was that, you know, Shermer and Schellenberger talking about UFOs and, you know, all right, well, which ones are unidentified aerial phenomenon versus what can be proven that these are extraterrestrial? Okay, let's get in there. Let's look at this little area that's called the fringe, which is, of course, why I named my blog Fringe Finance, because the answers a lot of times are on the fringe. Not everything everybody says on the right is always right, and not everything everybody on the left always says is always right. You know, so if you take an Eastern medicine practitioner, they'll bring some good shit to the table. You know, take a turmeric supplement. You know, is it good for you? Yeah, it reduces inflammation. Turmeric's great for you, right? Is it an antibiotic, though, when you need an antibiotic? No. Will it help alleviate your symptoms? Probably a little bit. Will it solve the underlying cause? Probably not if you have a bacterial infection, right? Okay, so let's go. Whittle away at this line. What's in the middle? What's in between? What's the line in between, you know, Hotez? Where's the middle of the rope when it comes to the tug of war? And that's what you want to know. And you can't have those discussions. You can't find those areas of best practice, right? Which is what we're looking for, all of us, in life, for our health, for our investments, for our safety, for our family, for our communities. You can't find that line without hashing it out. You got to hash it out. How do you hash it out? You get on and you talk and you talk and you talk and you debate and you rebut and you debate and you rebut until you have this vast aggregated data set, right, of just the giant objective Wikipedia of, you know, open source contributed ideas. And then you start shuffling through them and then you do a meta of a meta of a meta analysis of everything, right? And then eventually it'll start to emerge that, okay, like here are the things that work. Here's some things from the left that work. You know, sit on a table and meditate for an hour. Here's some things from the right that work. You actually have to remove the fucking skin cancer, right? Okay. 
So we can meet in the middle. Can you do both? Do they both have positive effects? Yes. You know, does RFK probably have some great points? Yes. Does Hotez probably have some great points? Yes. All right, let's get it out there. How are we going to figure out the answers without hashing it out? And that's why the debate is so important. It's why we're never going to see Lazar debate Weinstein. That would be, to quote the movie Grandma's Boy, like if Mike Tyson was boxing an infant. I mean, Eric Weinstein... And I don't think he would be disrespectful. I think he would just mop the floor with him. And it would be evident in 15 minutes that Bob Lazar, maybe less, has no idea what he's talking about. So that's where we are with that situation. Um, Hotez, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think he's going to do it. And I think that uh, I think people have the right to be skeptical. You know, they dragged Schellenberger and Taibbi in front of fucking Congress and gave them the business for exposing the fact you know, all the Twitter file stuff, right? And, you know, when you take that stuff and you aggregate it with, you know, the Biden laptop, which was silenced, that, the New York Post broke that fucking story. They put it on the front fucking page and Facebook wasn't letting people share it. Facebook. New York Post says this is fit to print. Facebook says we can't put it here. Even in just attributing it to the New York Post, Right. Then people were banned. They were called conspiracy theories. The 51 intelligence officials thing happened. Lo and behold, Biden gets elected a year later. It turns out the whole thing's true. And today, this morning, Hunter Biden is facing what appears to be a slap on the wrist, but federal charges for tax evasion and some other bullshit where he won't do, uh, he won't go to jail or anything. But, you know, there's a there there. Um, so people have the right to be skeptical. Again, the lab leak, Right. Day one, Zero Hedge was on it. Here's the woman working on bats at this institute where they're dealing with coronaviruses. Rand Paul says to Anthony Fauci in front of Congress, you know, are you doing gain-of-function research? Fauci looks him in the eye and says, you have no idea what you're talking about. Which is just categorically false. We've got the emails from Fauci after this whole thing happened doing damage control with Dazic and all these other dildos talking about, you know, hey, there's a 60-40 chance it came from the lab. Well, those are some pretty fucking good odds. That's like having the B, the U, and the I on the back of the Buick and saying to somebody, what do you think that says? And fucking Fauci's like, I don't know, Oldsmobile? <laughs> Oldsmobile? It's a B-U-I. Yeah, I know, but, you know, those letters are in Oldsmobile kind of, and uh, you never know. But it's the same type of situation. People have the right to be skeptical. They have the right to ask questions because we find out sometimes some things that we don't want to know. And I said this during COVID and I'll say it again, which is what are the things two years from now, two years from June 20th, 2023, what are the things that we'll be looking back on from 2025 and we'll have said, man. Uh, that was bullshit while it was happening. Wow, we were really, like, lied to there, you know? Like, look at the fucking Russia thing. I hate to bring up the Trump-Russia thing, but, you know, cleared of wrongdoing. No collusion with Russia. And then the fucking Durham report comes out, and they got all this shit on Clinton, you know, with the FISA fucking application, and, I mean, the 33,000 emails and all this shit. That stuff just goes away. But it's like, I, I, you know, I don't know. It just seems like... The law and skepticism of these things in the media 
has trouble applying uh, equal, I would say, examination to uh, to the things that may not benefit their uh, political party uh, in the way that it would benefit another political party. That's the way of the world. And so, you know, look, that's not going to change, right? Fucking idiots at award shows in Hollywood are always going to be, you know, left-wingers for the most part, right? MSNBC is always going to be a left-wing network. Fox is always going to be a right-wing network. So you can't change those things, but we have to be aware of them because that's why Rogan got so popular, right? Because he's, he has this forum for open ideas where he just lets people talk, you know? And some of the ideas make their way out and are incredible. And some people have become uh, notable for being on his show. And they deservedly so, because maybe they couldn't get a um, they couldn't get an interview beforehand, but Rogan brought him on. You know, even like comedians that have just done great for their career. He brings on these people that are his friends and you know, and then there's people that have gone on Rogan that just turn out, you know, like Tom DeLonge from Blink one eighty two and on there to one time. He talked about UFOs for two hours, and the only conclusion that I came to at the end of that podcast was this guy loves cocaine. <laughs> that was it. What'd you find out about aliens? I found out that Tom DeLonge is doing a ton of cocaine, it appears, and somehow is getting fatter, which is interesting. That's a uh, that's a unexplained aerial phenomenon we should look into. How do you wind up becoming a cokehead and putting on weight? Very interesting. We should have Area 51 examine Tom DeLonge. The point is, there's people that go on there, like the guy that was trying to defend Aikido. I forget his name. But, uh, you know, just humiliating himself in a debate with Rogan, and that's fine. But they're talking about it. They're hashing it out. You know, I like Aikido. I have respect for Aikido. But they're talking about, okay, well, what's the best? You know, you get into a bar fight. Would you rather have a, would you rather be a, you know, black belt in Aikido or a black belt in Jiu-Jitsu? Everybody knows the answer to that question. But they wanted to hash it out. The Game Changers debate is another thing. You know, great debate. Wilkes and fucking Kressler talking about, you know, being meat. Eating meat versus being a vegetarian. Good one. Graham Hancock versus Michael Shermer and fucking uh, Mark DeFont. Great episode. A debate, again, where they just hash shit out. You know, that's what we need. Some of the ideas wind up becoming great and these people become popular because of it. And some of them turn out to be stupid and people, you know, it's like Lazar. Well, what did he give me? He gave me two hours of essentially deposition on Rogan, which is helping me debunk him. You know, uh, so just let him talk. Don't be afraid to talk. Don't be afraid to debate. We need it because the, the 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 lines are blurred right now as it relates to what the truth is and, you know, who's deceiving who and who's talking to who about what and what's the narrative supposed to be and should we trust it or not and can we believe our own eyes at this point. The antidote to that is continued discussion, Socratic method, debate, questioning, getting all those cards on the table like I'm talking about. All right, fools, I'm going to save my market takes for uh, my next podcast because I'm going to have my buddy Phil on. So I'm sure we'll have plenty to cover as it relates to the market. I did just write on my Substack my latest portfolio review entitled Trading the Shit Show, the latest in my ongoing series entitled Trading the Shit Show, in which I go through uh, just various ways that I'm just getting boned by the market. Um so you can check that out. That's on my Substack, Fringe Finance, quote the Raven.substack.com. Um, some additions I made to my dividend portfolio, some of the names that I talked about at the beginning of the year, 
um, and what my general outlook on the market is. And I'll get into it a little bit more in depth, I'm sure, on the next podcast. But uh, just wanted to blow the dust off today. And I've just been, you know, in the month since I've done a podcast, I've just been going down this deep rabbit hole. Uh, listening to these uh, podcasts that I was talking about. And I, I wanted to put something down about them. Just get that done with. And then we'll return to your regularly scheduled market programming at some point. Look, the general gist, and I'm actually going to read you what I wrote at the end of my uh, portfolio update here. So this is a big, long article in which I write about uh, my thoughts and a lot of the dividend stocks that I own, some of the growth stocks that I own, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But uh, here's the conclusion. I'll read it to you. It's at the bottom behind the paywall. It just says, I don't have all the answers, and when it comes to macro, it's difficult for me to try and predict what's next. I guess I would sum up my thoughts about the market in general right now as follows. Don't get complacent and don't believe that because everybody in the news is talking about a new bull market based on some technical bullshit, which is what's going on right now. Everybody's, oh, we're 20% off the bottom. doesn't mean anything. Rates are still at 5%. That everything is fine and we're in the midst of a soft landing. My opinion is that we are not in the midst of a soft landing because a soft landing with 5% rates after 10 years of 0% rates, can you say Yellen and Volcker Award, is mathematically impossible. However, we still have to wait for reality to make its way through the maze of mirrors, backtalk, doublespeak, double jargon, PR spin, and good old-fashioned bullshit that the Fed and the Treasury continue to hand the American public. There is no doubt in my mind that reality will eventually be served up to both the economy and the market, and when it does, the picture of the financial world is going to look starkly different than it does today. And so the gist of my, without going into the details of my uh of the names that I talk about, but the macro gist of this piece is that, look, you know, rates are still at 5%. Monetary policy, you know, has a 18 month or two year lag before you see the effects show up in the stock market. And we're getting to that point. Meanwhile, the market has been tearing ass higher as though nothing is wrong, as though you can't get a CD for 4% right now, as if money, you know, as if we're still in a full risk on, environment and we're just not we're swimming upstream against the fed tightening and higher rates the behavioral incentive to the market right now is to take your money and park it in a money market account or buy bonds uh not to invest in equities and valuations are still stratospheric so there's way more liquidity now during tightening than there probably should be thanks to you know the doubling of the money supply over the course of the last couple of years but, uh, but eventually, we will have to pay the piper as it relates to these 5% rates, which just means the cost of everybody's debt is going up. It means that discretionary spending goes down. As that happens, earnings will start to come down. Equity prices should reflect that by moving lower a little bit. As they get lower, people will uh, be more prone to uh, deleverage as they want to deleverage because everything costs more. The cost of capital is higher. All their variable rate debt is higher. As they look to deleverage, that drives prices down even further. And uh, yeah, I actually think there's a case for deflation here instead of inflation. But it's going to be, you know, not like good deflation. It'll be like recessionary uh, deflation. I mean, it'll be good that prices come down if you've been preserving your world in an adequate. Nice job. Fuck face. Hour and 15 minutes. Can't even put a sentence together. If you are preserving your wealth in a world of out-of-control central banks, as my friend George Gammon has been talking about, then you have some real money, 
some firepower as it comes to real wealth, real meaning not nominal, right? Real. Um, and so, you know, deflation could be opportunistic for you. The housing market could be opportunistic for you, whatever. Um, but I think we're probably likely to see that. Um, and then, you know, you have the whole de-dollarization thing going on globally, still have those tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Obviously, they're still at war. You got the China and Taiwan thing. You have an upcoming election here in the U.S. So shit is going to get interesting. I love the miners still. That's something I can tell you that, you know, isn't uh, some secret hidden behind my paywall on my Substack. I love gold and silver miners. I continue to buy the GDX and the SIL. I like uh, the Sprott Physical Trusts. I still buy those. Of course, bullion, best way to still own gold and silver. JM Bullion, a great way to do that. Link is in the podcast description. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, look, we're in recession. Uh, it's going to become more and more evident as the days go by. And uh, you just don't run away from the uh, finite consequences of the math behind 5% rates. So you can hear all these nice stories about a bull market and a soft landing. And uh, it's fun to kind of watch CNBC contributors give each other hand jobs about how great everything is and how buying the dip has been a success. But past performance is not indicative of future fucking results. And uh, I think that there's a reason that that's printed on every single piece of financial anything you've ever seen. And uh, we'll see. Although I have been wrong. You know, for 18 months, I've been saying I think the market's going to fall further and it hasn't happened yet. So uh, keep in mind uh, that there is a very real chance that I'm an idiot and uh, you'd be better off doing the opposite of what I say. I don't know. You know, it's like it's like I'm my own Peter Hotez and my own RFK debating myself. And I just got to meet in the middle. Maybe the one thing that the only two sides of my brain can agree on is that this is not financial advice and you should be doing your research elsewhere. <laughs> It's nice to be back on the podcast. Uh, let me know if you see anything flying through the skies that looks a little funny. Take your fucking phone out and take a picture, okay? No more fuzzy nonsense or bullshit 911 calls. Show me the money. Show me the alien craft. Show me the... <laughs> the Element 115 that Bob Lazar stole that's on a VHS tape that was taped over with an episode of The Golden Girls, which George Knapp lo no longer can find. Show it to me. That's what I want to say. All right, fools. It's lovely being back with you. Expect to hear more of me. Okay? I know I didn't do a podcast. I got a whole inbox full of shit from people. I had other things going on. Those things are done now. And so I'm back. So how about that? And to my sponsors, I owe you guys a debt of gratitude for continuing to support me. I wouldn't support me. I, just, I only hope and pray that my listeners, you know, the few of them that actually enjoy this verbal diarrhea... Uh, buy a thimble full of products and or services for you uh, and keep the uh, the pulse of your businesses uh, moving at least a little bit, uh, the anemic pulse as far as my referrals a little bit so that it still becomes uh, worthwhile for you to support me because uh, quite frankly, I like money. So thank you very much for that. All right, fools, read the disclaimer on my sub stack. Take Tylenol for any headaches and uh, might all for any cramps. All right, peace.